Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. I'm Edward Schuler, joined by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how are you doing today, man? Hey, Ed, I'm doing great. Um, you know, Bulls have been playing better since we last recorded. Uh, they did have, obviously, that one frustrating loss against the Rockets, but yeah, they've been playing better. Obviously, Zach is looking great. Uh, so I'm doing, I'm doing not bad. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm less, I mean, I'm not saying I'm all back in or anything with this team. It's still this team. I'm still like, I don't know what will happen as the season goes on, but I think it's, I'm pretty certain the bulls absolutely will not rebuild, uh, because of the fact that the East is so weak, (laughs) um, that they could still make the playoffs as is and, Still, even if they get a couple of, um, what do you call it, playing games, I think ownership would probably be happy with those two extra games for revenue purposes, probably. So uh, that I'm thinking is uh, what's the reality. But yeah, I mean, like I said, it's good to see the Bulls playing better overall. And it's also really nice to see Zach pretty much looking like him, his normal self. Yeah, we we said before the the home and home against the Knicks that the Bulls needed to go seven and three to close out the year for us to really buy back into them. And it started ugly <laughs> with the yeah. two losses of the Knicks so two losses to the Knicks and then they lost to the Timberwolves without Towns and Gobert. But yeah, I gave up 150 uh, doing 150 it. 150 <laughs> professional basketball points in four quarters <laughs> to uh as uh as our guy Big Dave said, uh Nas Reed. <laughs> and he said, some guy named Knight. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> but uh yeah, the, the Bulls have won five of six since that loss to Minnesota. So I don't know if that was a wake-up call or what, but, I mean, they've beaten Miami on the road. They went, got a little bit of payback against the Hawks and Knicks. Uh, the, like you said, the the loss against Houston, which was pretty bad. Um, but then they beat Milwaukee last, or they beat Milwaukee Wednesday and then beating Detroit uh, Friday. So, it, they're... They're back in the picture. A playoff berth is still very much realistic. And like we were talking about before the show, it's hard to see this team choosing to rebuild when a playoff 
appearance is still very tangible. And Zach Levine, the guy that you just invested so much money into still in the prime of his career is starting to show signs of life. So they they have a really tough stretch coming up now with starting tonight, Cleveland in back-to-back games, but not on a back-to-back. So uh, tonight they play Cleveland, Monday they're at Cleveland, then Brooklyn, then Philly, then Utah, then Boston, Washington, Oklahoma City, Golden State. So it's a pretty it's a pretty challenging stretch. So um I I don't I, I'm still not like you, I'm not buying in because we know how this team has operated. And it, it just seems like they are just going to play at the level of the comp whoever they're playing against. Right, right, for sure. Um, you know, there's there's a few things that you know we'll definitely discuss here um as far as obviously we got a Lonzo ball update we have to look at what the bulls can do obviously with the schedule you just mentioned it coming up uh which i have thoughts on that obviously as well um and then we do have a really good interview as well with uh, with uh uh bulls uh, radio announcer chuck swirsky that we will have uh, played later in the in the episode so Definitely stick around for that if you're listening right now. Um, but yeah, so let's let's get into all that other you know topics. You know, first first let's talk about a little bit about uh, Lonzo update before we get back into looking at the schedule that you know coming up with with the way the, the playing some of our tougher teams and and uh, even even with the Bulls playing better. But yeah, the Lonzo update was. I mean, there's. I mean, I guess it's positive in the sense that it's better than what he's been doing. Like he's been able to, even like they said, what he was lightly able to jump and he was lightly able to jog. But like for me, it was still like, man, it's been almost a year, and now he's finally able to lightly jog and lightly jump. I don't. The, like to me, it does doesn't really mean a lot because, or mean much because, I like I'll feel I'll feel like oh, okay cool if Lonzo played a pickup game <laughs> and had no like pain afterwards. That's when I'll feel good. <laughs> like oh okay he played it actually like scrimmage like something like that. Not like not necessarily a, a huge five on five like with the team and a real practice. But just like did like you know a run, and was able to play you know without and then after the the next day he had no soreness in his knee like or like like real pain like I mean you expect there to be some kind of I've, I don't know if it's like soreness is the right word because you probably expect some kind of like soreness like as far as because I haven't done this in a year so you know I'm I'm probably gonna be tired, um but like. Pain, I guess, is probably the correct word. More pain is in his knee the next day. Like you would hope that you know there's nothing like that, and then he has to sit out. Like, oh, I can't practice again for another two months because I can't. This every day now that I try anything, it hurts. So I think something like that will get me more excited. Like he's able to scrimmage, uh, or something like that. 
than what this current update was like what were your thoughts though on, on that update yeah so uh i i think it's good news but it's not a whole lot like you said <laughs> like it, it's it's great you'd rather see this than he's still not doing anything and uh you know all hope is lost or something like that but um yeah it, it's it's good news but it, it's not like you want to see him getting back into those basketball like activities more like you want to see we're waiting to see the scrimmages and taking contact and not feeling pain after you know workouts and things like that so it again it, it's welcome news but it's not what we really really want to see and at the same time i, I still can't I still can't shake off the possibility that he's still that regardless of what happens, that he's still not going to come back this season. Yeah, I, I've long given up that thought that he's he's coming back this year. I I just can't see it. Yeah. It's, it's just it's going to be January, and he's still not even like I said. He hasn't had a, he hasn't even had a. A, a, a like scrimmage run or anything like that like yeah so it, it's like like there's just no way there's yeah. no way he's playing this season he it's just it's out of the question i think to me and it, it, it would basically have to be something where a miracle happens where he wakes up next week sometime and he's just like man my knee feels amazing and i can play it now so would you <laughs> would you tell him that if you were ak or whoever, I mean, I'm sure the the I'm sure the call is going to come from ownership, and it's going to be a mix of ownership and AK and Eversley. So I'm sure it's like a, a talk amongst multiple people. But if it comes down to you and Lonzo Ball wakes up like in say March, like you said, and just comes and says, "Look, I feel great. I'm at full strength. I played. Like I've done. I've done everything that you want to see." I'm ready to play basketball and the bulls are, I, I won't give a number record wise, but let's say they're still around. They're still doing what they are kind of now, which is kind of like a tread water type of record. So maybe like three or four games below 500, I guess like still a puncher's chance. Would you let Lonzo play? Or are you kicking that rock or kicking that can towards next season? Oh man, it's tough. Um, like I mean, if if he's not, I mean, I'm I'm imagining if if he's saying he's ready to play, like, or if the team is saying that he's ready to play because he's probably met, went through multiple rounds of testing his knee in practice and and all these other things. Yeah, you probably bring him back. Um. And if they're still, I mean, if they're still in the play-in reach, they're probably, like, play-in um, territory. I'm sure they'll still try to do that. Um, what what I want to see, you know, realistically is if I think the Bulls should just announce that he's not playing the season and then apply for a, a an exception, a uh, disabled player exception, because that's something they could – you know, potentially use to sign another player that could help this season. Um, 
because you know, they still have the mid-level exception, like the full mid-level and whatever prorated that would be. Um, and then if they can get that exception too, I know you can't combine those two, but it's still money, extra money here or there. Uh, that, and I don't know how the cat. Obviously, I'm not a CBA guy, so I don't know how that works. I don't know if the disabled player exception would then take money off like the cap and then so then you're not going into the luxury tax territory if you have to use it so maybe that's something also another benefit where the bulls then can actually go sign somebody uh and not worry about luxury tax payments because his ownership won't pay the luxury tax so i don't know if that also could come into play maybe um if something like that happens i can't remember but yeah i mean to me it's like it's like I think if if that situation you 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 kind of uh, drew out, I, I think yeah he would he would come back this season. And if he is, it's not because I don't think that situation comes about unless he's actually for sure ready to play. Because they're not gonna he he I don't think is going to just go out there to play if his knee isn't actually good. Like he hasn't been properly tested multiple amounts of times and. The team isn't going to let him play if his team is not actually tested multiple amount of times and they feel confident about it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I I think I wonder that even if he is ready to play, how much of a contributor he can actually be. Even if it's like 10 minutes, I say, like 10 or 12 minutes, I don't know. Like, I don't know what a 10 or 12 minute Lonzo Ball still looks like. And Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on how his movement is. Like, mm. I suppose he could like I'll just worry more so defensively, like how is he able to move like laterally and things like that? I mean he'll I suppose he'll help with shooting because he's like a stand he's a good standstill shooter. Yeah. Um but as far as what he can do defensively is the question, I think, right? Yeah. Um because again that the mobility wise, like how much, how mobile will he be able to be on that knee? He's going to see a lot of pick and roll. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So <laughs> I guess that's the question. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's a tough thing for sure. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see if we get any more positive updates and, in the next couple of months with uh with Lonzo, but I think we're both in agreement here that it's good to it's good to read, but it's still kind of not that meat and potatoes that we really want to see to figure out if there actually is a legitimate chance or if this is just something that they know in the back of their mind it's not happening this year, but they want to leave that door cracked open just for some optimism and just for some hope and just for a little bit of good vibes. So. Uh, we'll see what that's looking like over the next couple of months. Um, last night, the Bulls, as we talked about, beat Detroit 132-118. Um, I, I did not see this game, so your thoughts are going to be a lot more uh, meaningful than mine. But one of the things that we've and everyone's been talking about is how this Bulls team is showing up against these like bad opponents and it's not like the bulls themselves are like these world beaters but 
if you look at the record, the Bulls are maybe a few wins against bad teams away from probably being a legitimate playoff team in the Eastern Conference right now, which is kind of a scary thought. So the fact that they were able to to get this win when it looked kind of like a typical letdown, I think was good. So what did what did you notice in this game? And obviously Zach Levine had a, a killer game, but what did you notice in this game from how this team played that's something that they can maybe carry over to playing similar type of opponents? I know that's kind of a, a weird question, like how do you beat bad teams? But like what what is something that you notice in how they played and closed this game out that they can really take and build momentum off of? Well, the closing of the game, man, Caruso was a huge part of how they were able to kind of separate themselves um, from the Pistons because he did, he, he played some tremendous defense at, at, on the nail, like really essentially breaking up anything the Pistons wanted to run. Um, and then obviously getting, you know, Deflections, steals, getting the Bulls are then able to get on the fast break, um, and then offensively the Pistons just had these major, major breakdowns uh, defensively. That is, uh, for the Bulls offensively, for their success, the Pistons had some major defensive breakdowns. And you know, to the Bulls' credit, they were able to execute out of uh, when the Pistons tried to trap. Uh, guys started shooting better. Uh, like AC hit an open corner three, Root hit an open corner three. Um, so that that's how they were able to separate themselves. But like the start of the game was kind of the same frustrating situation where a a team a team that is um like an an, an inferior opponent essentially that's coming in and playing harder than them to start. That the, the first quarter started out like that and. And the game was pretty close for the most part. And the Pistons actually had the lead a little bit. They kind of with the lead kind of flipped back and forth a couple of times. Um, and then, like I said, late in that fourth quarter, I'm going to say maybe like the last five, five minutes or so is when the Bulls kind of separated themselves. Um, but, yeah, I think – I mean, it was a win. It's good that they won, and it's good that they were able to close out, but there were still some in the beginning concerning aspects. Um, the big positive throughout the game, though, was Zach. Like, he was just, like, the vintage Zach that we've known the last, like, two years when he's healthy. There's the ridiculously tough shot-making, uh, the, the eye-popping athleticism, the first stop. I was – last night, actually, I was on – uh, what, during the game, the the guys from uh, Lockdown Pistons had asked me because they do a live game coverage, and they asked me to join them. And like even they, like as 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 not fans of the of the Bulls, they were just like, admiring Zach's like shot making, and and that's when you know like he's back, like Zach is back. Um, you look at uh, I mean, you look at his December month uh, numbers. Uh, which I've highlighted through 14 games. Uh, he's averaging right now through 14 games of this month, 25 points, 0.2 points per game, 4.3 rebounds a game, 4.1 assists on 
shooting splits of 53, 43, 82%. And that's also including a 61% true shooting percentage. And and the the big one here is, and he's finishing at 79.5% in the restricted area. Um, so that kind of shows you his explosion is back. Um, so yeah, he's like, he's that old, same old Zach. And, you know, when you look at it too, he's at what now two 40 point games this month. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been great. And uh, again, on the other positive, I'll say though, too, uh, I shouldn't say Zach was the only positive. The other positive, again, it's the big three con- being consistent. Um, like yeah. consistent production from the big three as well. Yeah, we've seen a lot more games with them all. Like, even when you think about last year, there were a lot of games where maybe it was one or two of them playing well. But recently, we've seen more games with them all really kind of contributing to a balanced effort. And I do think that's one of the improvements that we've seen this season. And Zach having such a great December and looking like he's back has been such a really big part of that. So uh, if this big three is playing like a legitimate trio, then the Bulls have more chances to win games and to compete. And, you know, we saw it in that Milwaukee game where obviously it took like a big comeback at the end, but you see it in the Milwaukee game. You see it in the game against the Knicks where when they're playing well, they can they can compete with any team. So, you, I mean, it's simple and obvious, but you need your best players to play like your best players. And they, they're finally getting that. And if Zach Levine and DeMar can really start being that like duo like they did last season too, I mean, you really you really do have a shot to to run it up a little bit now. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, yeah, I think I think uh, you when you look at even the duo as far as what they've done this month, um, it's it's been pretty. It's been pretty fantastic as far as a, a combined month from them. Uh, I think what like so I, I highlighted uh, Zach's number numbers, I should say, um, what he's doing, and then Demar on top of that is averaging twenty six point six points a game on shooting splits of fifty one. I mean, the three point shooting is twenty two percent, which is which whatever is, is he's not a volume shooter anyways. At eighty nine percent on the free throw line, um, and obviously all the other things that he does uh, on on the floor with, as a playmaker. Um, so yeah, the, like that's that's the that's like the ideal scenario, like the two duo being that consistently that high of, of being that good, and then everything around them kind of settling in. And I'm I'm hoping Io can start being consistently good, better because he's kind of had a rough season, in my opinion. Um, I think we've seen Pat make strides. Um, still at times he hesitates a shot with his confidence with his shots, but like defensively, he's been strong. Like though against the Bucks, like. Giannis is Giannis. He's a beast. He's a monster. He had 45 points, but like he he had to work for those 45 points. He got up with like 39 shots to get to those 45 points. Um, I think you do like to see a little more aggression from him on on the boards. Um, I, and I kind of want to 
give him a leeway for the Bucks game just because it's kind of hard when you're defending Giannis too, then also to crash the boards after you're you've taken a Giannis shoulder yeah, <laughs> straight no, in the middle of the chest. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know it's it's it, it, like you know taking a Giannis shoulder can make the make make a civilian see the light. You know I, I'm not gonna sit here and and say okay, well he should have defended Giannis. And then also got in and grabbed the rebound. That's tough. Like, and I'm not saying that you know every up every possession he was on Giannis. I think there was like I think he was in the, he was the 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 biggest. He defended Giannis the most that night. Um, and in general, he defends the best, best or the most difficult matchup every night. Um, I think there's I had shared another tra- a stat the uh, yesterday from uh, B-Ball Index. And they showed like the the minutes leaders as far as uh, when they are as far as who's who is leading the league and like matchup difficulties, uh, if you will. And like the league leader is wing stoppers in our matchup difficulty metrics, minimum five hundred minutes, and Patrick Williams is fourth on that list. So he's taking the best like defensive assignment every night yeah and that's there's no there's no easy like like you said there's no easy task and we saw some signs of it even in his rookie season when he defended like like i think it was like that opening stretch in his like first month where he like guarded like lebron and Giannis like in some pretty like in like pretty short stretches like the fact that he's being able to to do this with this workload is really just another confirmation of the type of upside that we've been talking about him the last week or like the last couple of weeks. And, you know, even if the scoring numbers aren't completely there, it does feel like there is general, it does feel like, and it is like clear that there is improvement in his game and that we're starting to get closer and closer to really hover around what he can really look like when it's all said and done. So like, I'm encouraged by it. No, hundred percent. Like I said, I it's it, the 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 defense is is very nice to see. The offense, I think it's just going to be a slow process mostly because he just doesn't get. I mean, there's two things with the offensive side. So one is he just doesn't get a lot of on ball opportunities. He's not going to because he has three high usage players on his team uh, that that come first. Um, and then two, he's just, he does still a little bit hesitates. He thinks too much sometimes or thinks too much and not as much as he used to, but he doesn't have as many moments because against, for example, against the Bucks, he got up 14 shots. Like he was looking to shoot, but there were a couple of moments where he's like, dude, why didn't you just shoot that instead of trying to take a more difficult shot? Like he ended up. It was like twice where he did shoot, but it was like he he kind of dribbled into a more difficult um, shot instead of taking the easier one. So like he had one point at the top of the key uh, three pointer he was open at. Um, he faked that and drove into the Bucks' defense for some reason. Uh, another one I remember noting is when he had he was he was he was coming off the dribble and he had opened up space for himself in the mid, like at the free throw line where he could have just risen up, taking the mid range shot. But for some reason he decided to head fake 
and then tried to go underneath to make a more difficult lay-in, and he missed the shot. And it's like, dude, you had the midi right there. Why didn't you just shoot that? Um, so, like, I think he still, like, second-guesses himself in certain moments um, in, in, in that respect. But, yeah, like I said, I, I'm, I'm – I'm happy. I'm ha I'm personally happy with the progress we're seeing from him. Um, I call people who overly criticize that our box store merchants that just want to look at his box store and 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 just kind of analyze his play based on that alone. Um, but yeah, like to me, like I'm 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 seeing good things from him. Uh, and, I, and I'm not saying, like, in hindsight, he was the perfect pick at four. Obviously, yeah, he isn't. The, you know, there's guys, namely Halliburton, should have been the fourth pick, for, uh, if, if we're going by hindsight. Um, but, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm so optimistic about Pat's future, and I'm, I can still see him becoming uh, a high-level role player. In the in the in the vein of a guy like maybe Jeremy Grant, but a, a better passer. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you will. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I think it, at the time it, it, there was a lot of. I I think after like those first three picks in that draft, there was a lot of kind of like players lumped together, and then even now when you look at it, it's like Pat Okoro, uh, Okongwu, Killian Hayes, Toppin, Avija. <laughs> Jalen Smith, then you get like Devin Vassell. So it's just like Halliburton goes at 12, but it's like at the time, no one was saying like, yeah, man, Halliburton is going to be a 21 and 10 point guard. Like that's his, <laughs> that's his upside in his uh, third or fourth year. He's going to reach that. But yeah, I, I think when you look at Pat and his improvements, it goes well beyond the box score this year. And I think as his role expands offensively in the future, and it will at some point, um, I don't. I think he'll. I think he'll be more comfortable with his shot selection. It will be more instinctive, and you, you won't see him passing up as many looks. Um, real quick, uh, what do you what do you think about how Vooch has done this season? Like, you look at Vooch's number, you don't really see him on the timeline as much. <laughs> like, I don't really see a whole lot of people uh, throwing stones at Vooch these days. Like, he's been having a really great December. Like. Yeah, he's been having a good season yeah, in general. A good season in general. I mean, there's, too. Yeah. There, there's not much to complain about for Vooch. Look, it, yes, the trade is still a negative in the Bulls' favor. It is what it is. I mean, but um, but he's been he's been like a he he is a quality starting center. You know, uh, he's providing shooting. He's facing the floor. He he gets on the boards. His defense is not nearly as bad as people make it out to be. Um, he's, I mean, I wouldn't even say bad. He's just like, obviously, we, we always talk about it. He's limited defensively. He can, he's good in short space, uh, shorter spaces. Um, obviously, this season, the Bulls have been doing a little bit more stuff with him, um, having him defend uh, higher uh, on the level of the pick and roll and things like that. But, yeah, it's just, you know, he's he's been he's he's been the most consistent bull or at least one of the most consistent bull outside of DeMar. Um like from the beginning of start of the season, he's just been consistently providing production, doing good things out there. And then obviously he's still a good offensive hub um on this team. Yeah. So the the three-point shooting coming back for him was such a 
it's been such a really good development for him. He's like taking close to five threes a game. And this year he's knocking them down at like 38%. So getting that back has been great. And it's still weird though, because like you, when you look at his career and I think we had an episode talking about this, but every other year he just seems to like fluctuate sharply between being at least an above average three point shooter to being like below streaky. And it's, it's a little strange, but I'm, I'm glad that he's seen some like positive regression in that area of the season. So, um, you know, getting, getting 17 and 10 from your, your starting center with those shooting splits this season, has been a really good sign. Like he's been a really solid third option. So I, I'm glad that he is avoiding <laughs> the type of criticism that he got, uh, last season and coming into the season. So shout out to Vooch for, uh, his play. So, uh, real quick going through the upcoming schedule that we we mentioned at the top of the show and I, I wanted to see how you think the Bulls are going to do in this stretch so we got about let's call it a 10 game stretch so we'll say Cleveland these two games against Cleveland then we have Brooklyn and Philly Utah and Boston Washington and Oklahoma City Golden State and then at Detroit So about a 10 game stretch going through uh, January 19th, a a lot of difficult opponents, but how do you, we we talked about this team needing to go seven and three in the last stretch and they're either going to hit five and five or six and four, depending on what happens tonight. So not great, but what do you think this team needs to do in this next 10 game stretch? to make you want to buy in to them again. Right now, I'm still, like, even though they beat Milwaukee and they beat some other teams, I'm still like, no. But what do they need for, to do for you to buy in? Can they go six and four? Because that's what I'm, 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 I'm trying to see, if they can go six and four. Like, I'm looking at te- the teams like the Jazz at, at home, I'm looking at teams like Wizards at home, Thunder at home, uh, Warriors at home. Like the Warriors struggle on the road compared to on at home uh, on their court. And then you, again, you have the Pistons, who again they're a scrappy young team, but they're the worst team in the East. Um, like those games should be wins. Yeah. So that's what one two, three, four, that's five wins. And then you steal one of the games against the Sixers, Nets, Cavs, and the two Cavs games. Mm. And that's six wins. I think six and four sounds about right. Um, that's what I yeah. need to see. Like, And even then, you know, that keeps them, what, that, that, that leaves them, what, only... Uh, what is that? There it's twenty two and twenty three. So there'll be just a game under five hundred probably yeah. at that point. And I mean, all things um, considered, twenty two and twenty three. It's, I mean, you're you're still at a point at twenty two and twenty three where you can still do something. Like, of course, we're not talking about them contending for something significant, but they're still at a point where they could finish the season in a position with an automatic playoff berth or just like right outside of it, probably like seven seed or something like that. So 
like I think six and four would not be a bad outcome, even though they disappointed in the last stretch that they had. Um, yeah, like I, I'm looking at Cleveland as a split. I think if you can get one of those Brooklyn Philadelphia wins, I think that's realistic. I think Utah at home. Um, I think Utah at home should be a win, honestly. Like they're not. They're not playing as hot as they did the start of the season. So I, I think no, Utah, for sure. Yeah. So I, I think Utah at home is a game you have to win. Um, even though they have played well against Boston, I'm not expecting them to win on the road. And Boston, you figure at some point they, they're going to lose to Boston. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. So, so uh, I'll give them an L there. And then after that, like beat Washington, beat Oklahoma City, Golden State. Yeah, take care of business there, and then at Detroit, like, yeah, I, I think you can. I think this is another stretch where they can do something, but it, it really is going to require them not to take teams for granted. So they're gonna have to show up for like the Utah game on a Saturday. They're gonna have to show up for that. They're gonna have to show up for Washington on a Wednesday. They're gonna have to show up for Oklahoma City. Like they're gonna have to the Detroit game on a Thursday. Like these are the type of games that you have to show up for. Like, I don't even really question if they'll show up to play against Brooklyn or, or golden state, or even in one of these Cleveland games. Like, I think they will be in the right mind state is really just looking at these teams that they have been taking for granted. These type of teams that they have been taking for granted that aren't very exciting when you look at them on the schedule, but those teams can play hard and if they play hard, then it can be a wrap for the Bulls. No, 100% for sure. Yeah. So we'll see if the Bulls can uh, – we're both saying six and four. We'll see if the Bulls can uh, meet that in this next 10-game stretch. All right. So we are being joined by the Bulls' longtime play-by-play announcer on radio, Chuck Swirsky. Chuck, thank you so much for joining us and making time for us today, man. My pleasure. Thank you. No, we really appreciate you. Uh, you're obviously a Hall of Famer. Um, you're you're one of the best in the business, and you know you've you've been a part of such so many great Bulls memories. But in just in general, NBA uh, making some great NBA calls overall. Uh, it was actually a pleasure for me to meet you. I, I obviously you meet so many people, you don't remember me, but. I, I was I had the uh, pleasure of being able to get a tour at the Advocate Center, and I, I met yes. you there, uh, and it was really a pleasure, and and it was it was a lot of fun, like one of the best, like as a sports fan, one of the best experiences for me, just because being able to see that uh, that place and the everything that the players work on it, and it was it was a fantastic experience. Well, thank you. Yeah, it is a great experience. You know, I think people. Um, really like yourself who had the rare opportunity to actually go inside and see what a training facility looks like. And I mean, the players right now in this generation and in this point where the NBA, it's almost like an arms race where you build a training facility and it has all the bells and whistles. And then all of a sudden the team says, hey, guess what? We're building one and this is what we've got. It's almost like an SEC uh, uh, yeah. 
you know, where you've got one school in the South saying, man, look at this, we've got everything. And then like two years later, a donor from another FCC school says, well, yeah, well, guess what? So, but I, I love the Advocate Training Center. They've oh, done yeah. a fantastic job. It's, it is state of the art and every player could possibly want is there. Yeah, state of the art. And it's really cool too, to see a lot of like the old school memorabilia stuff too. Uh, from like back in the days, back in the nineties, you see some of like the cereal boxes, like the Wheaties, yes. but then also like these other really old, like the books and things like that, that are like probably like sports almanacs or encyclopedias, uh, sports encyclopedias of the Bulls, the history of the team and things like that. So it's it's some really fun stuff, um, you know. And it, yeah, like I said, just the experience that was uh, just absolutely amazing. And I got to also shoot a little bit on the on the practice floor. So that was, that was interesting. <laughs> did you, did you uh, make them? Experience as well. <laughs> uh, I did not. We, we all got one shot. I, I, I did hit the rim, but it rimmed out. It's progress. Well, <laughs> I've seen a few of those at the pro level, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Chuck, you, you've, been, you've been with the Bulls now for, I believe, 15 years or just a little bit oh, over 15. 15, yep. 15 years now. So you, you've seen a lot of these these bulls memories over the past 15 years some good times some bad times as well what what are some of the moments to you that have like stuck out since you've been a part of this bulls organization wow that's a great question so i started my first year was derrick rose's rookie year and it was an amazing feeling as a broadcaster who's been doing this a long time. And I was in Toronto with Vince Carter's rookie year, Tracy McGrady's second year. Chris Bosch came in in 2003 in the LeBron draft. So I love seeing young players and the impact Rose had immediately. And the fact he was from Chicago and up until the ACL injury, how he was just destroying opponents every single night and i mean it was crazy and um and when so when derek his first two years you know he's really starting to build a resume of explosiveness um where you can tell he was ready to take off from his rookie season so then tibbs comes in his third season, Rose's third season in the league, and really blossoms into a great player. And Tibbs, to his credit, really gave ownership to Derek and to Joe and to Lou and to Heinrich. I mean, I love that team. I That era of Bulls ball, we can't put it on the Jordan era at all. And I'm not saying I'm doing that because the Jordan era – was on a different universe, planet, you know, completely different Milky Way, so to speak, in space. But the the era of post-Jordan basketball, that window when the players were healthy and uh, on the same vibe, it was awesome. Yeah, 100%. You know, I agree with you. I, I think... You know, as fans, a lot of fans get stuck in the championship or bust 
you know, mentality of, of rooting for their sports teams. But when we look back at those Rose, Joaquin, Noel, Luol, Dang, Tibbs teams, they really did give us so much, some of our best memories. Like, uh, like Joaquin Noah to this day is like arguably easily like not counting MJ, but easily my favorite player in, in, in franchise history. Like just so he gave everything he had on the court, like his blood, heart and tears. Everything. I, I, I and think, you know what, that's played. a, it's a really good question in a statement you just made. Who is the second most popular player? I'm not talking about best player. The second most popular right. player in Bulls history. Was it Derek? Was it Joe? Was it Lou? Um, you know, I mean, you could go, I I, I don't know. Yeah. I, is it it, it's tough. It's tough for sure. But like, yeah, though, and like uh, to, to your point, like I said, you know, those teams, even if they didn't win at all, they still gave us some really oh, yeah. entertaining basketball, yeah. memorable basketball, and that's something we will always cherish and keep in our hearts for sure. Um, you know, and you think about this. You know, what, let, what, let me just throw this out about Bulls history. Let's say that season under Fred Hoiberg, you had three alphas on the floor. Right. You had Wade, Butler, Rondo. And remember – even with all the issues with the three alphas and with Fred, you know, trying to navigate his way through coaching in the NBA, the Bulls are up 2-0 in the series against Boston. Rondo breaks his hand during the second game, which yeah. they win. Let's say, Rondo, that injury doesn't happen. Boston comes into Chicago, and I got to believe at least the Bulls get one of these games, and it's 3-1. I think they win that series. What happens in round two? No clue. But if they win that series, do you bring back Wade? Do you bring back Rondo? Do you not make the trade with Minnesota? involving Butler. I mean, it's like crazy to think what would have happened had Rondo's hand not sustained an injury. Yeah. And even if, even let's say they don't win that series, but they're able to push it, have a seven game series, like a really competitive seven game series that could have changed some opinions on how you, you know, you proceed in that offseason. Maybe instead of blowing it up, you say, okay, well, we'll add a little bit of correct something to push us over the top. So, yeah, you never know uh, what happens if that if his hand doesn't break. So that's a great point as well. Um, speaking of moments in your career as well, like what, what would you say some of the great mo- memorable moments for you are, like some of your favorite calls that you made or just games that you've obviously sat on and behind the mic and experience live uh, in your career? Well, when I was an intern, I saw a major league pitcher throw a no-hitter, and that was that was Dick Bosman of the Cleveland. At that time, they're nicknamed the Indians, now the Guardians, but he threw a no-hitter against Oakland and Reggie Jackson, and it was a Friday night in Cleveland, and I will never forget that. I mean, to see a no-hitter, a major league no-hitter in person is Crazy. Um, the 85 Bears, 
unbelievable. I was at the Super Bowl, and to see how one team just completely dominated the best team of the American Football Conference in New England, and the the players assembled by the Bears during that era, especially. I mean, we can talk about Walter Payton, the greatest running back, maybe the greatest football player ever, okay? I get that. But on defense, when you had the fridge, Dan Hampton, I mean, you had Steve McMichael, Richard Dent, Wilbur Marshall, right. Mike Singletary, um, you know, Otis Wilson, you had Gary Fensick, you had Dave Durant. I mean, it was crazy. But if someone had to say the the single game, it has to be Kobe's 81 game that I called uh, with the Raptors and the Lakers at Staples. I mean, I saw a player score 81 points in a four-quarter NBA game. Yeah, that game is, is really sticks out in memory, too, just because a couple of games, a game or two before that, he had like 60 at the end, yes, he did 60 or 62 Dallas. at the end of the third quarter. But it was like, okay, it was such a big lead, they didn't put him back in. And everyone was mad about that because he was just in such a big zone. And then against the Raptors, this magic happened, like, you know, a competitive game. And he was just, yep. you know, just on. And Jalen Rose to this day does not live that down. So <laughs> it's, that was just well, a yeah, I mean, he shouldn't because, yeah. I mean, I, lo- I love Jalen. I love Jalen, but he'll never be thought of as a <laughs> – highly intense defensive player. <laughs> it, it, it is even crazier because they they took Kobe out in that game with like, what, like seven or eight minutes left? And uh, eight, not seven or eight minutes, like, but after he made two free throws hmm. um, to give him 81. I mean, hmm. I remember doing that game and the Raptors were up by 18 points. Hmm. And that's why Kobe actually had to, I mean, you know, he he had to stay in the game on the floor. But, I mean, to see uh, 81 points, I mean, I don't think I'll ever see that again. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you this question. What do you think is more impressive? Because this has always been an argument uh, ever since he's did that 81. Kobe is scoring 81 or Wilt scoring 100? Because, and, and this is the reason I asked. Now, obviously, 100 is a lot is more than 81, but – when you consider that Kobe as a perimeter player who didn't really play down low in the, in the, in the paint, shooting more jump shots and things like that, like, to me, that was that's crazy impressive, a little bit more impressive than the 100. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, you know what? I think it's apples and oranges. I think it's you know a situation where Wilt's era of basketball, not a lot of bigs, and he was the premier dominant player along with Bill Russell in that era. And, you know, actually the third best center. Now, again, we didn't have that many teams in the NBA at that point in time in 1962 when Moult scored 100. But the third best center in the league during that era was Johnny Red Kerr. Right. I mean, people don't – you know, people look at Johnny as a broadcaster for, you know, your generation – you only know Johnny as the broadcaster on TV during the championship bowl seasons. But Johnny was an outstanding college player in Illinois, terrific NBA player who played every day. I mean, 
up until AC Green, he was the Iron Man of the NBA. He would play every single and this this what's crazy. He probably had to play Wilt and Bill Russell. How many times during the course of the season? 15, maybe each team. I mean, it was wild. But um, the Kobe game was just crazy. Uh, And God bless him. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because, like, I I think of Kobe quite a bit. And uh, because on social media, someone's always doing a tweet uh, about this day in history. And a lot of these this, this day in history little notations pop up with Kobe. And I'm not, you know, I just, you know, it is so tragic what happened with him, his daughter, and of course the other people involved in the helicopter accident and the tragedy there and what has happened to the families you know, because my they think about this every day, I'm sure. But I still believe the best was yet to come with Kobe Bryant, with entertainment and business and the impact he had. I'll, I'll share a story. I won't mention his name. He's yeah. a player. So, you know, Kobe was doing this ESPN Plus series, and he would break down a player's game. So if he was going to break down Devin Booker or, and I'm using that as an example, but he would break down current players in the NBA and his IQ was so unbelievably high. And I encourage you and your viewers to see if you can go back and look at these. He would just, from the moment on the inbounds pass, I mean, he would look at, Okay, that's a lazy dribble. Or, you know, where what, what is he doing with the ball here? Why is he going right instead of left? How come I'm not seeing him with his offhand? hand? It was, I'm, I'm looking at this. And so I had a, a player in the NBA, and they wanted to reach out to Kobe so Kobe would, you know, look at his game on this ESPN platform. I think... This is just my opinion. I think in probably after his kids had all grown up, I think he would have been a great general manager. Yeah, he, he definitely had a uh, vision and, and ability to build relationships around the league. Um, yes. The way he was able to connect with a lot of the newer generation uh, players for sure. Uh, Chuck, I know we don't have much more time. Um, I want to, uh, I'm sorry. Did you have a quick comment? No, I would say I, I know we don't have much more time, so I just want to wrap up on this. Uh, just to, about the current team. Um, how would you personally describe their chemistry that you're seeing on on the court? And also, why do you think they're struggling against these teams under 500? I mean, they they got the win against last night against the Pistons, but overall, they're four and eight um, against these teams. Yeah. And honestly, that's not acceptable. And they should be better against weaker opponents. But having said this, and and again, I want to be very clear about this. You know, when when, what Detroit has NBA players, Houston has NBA players. 
So when someone says, well, you should win that game. Well, if you line up the personnel and you see team A and team B, and you say to yourself, wow, team A's got is loaded and team B not so much. Okay, I get that. But, you know, if you're Houston and you're Kevin Porter Jr. or you're Jalen Green or you're Jabari Smith and you're coming into a 22,000 in Chicago and this is a big stage and you've got a lot of eyeballs on you, you know, you, you want to bust it on that stage. And, the, you know, I mean, last night, I mean, we had, um, you know, a veteran like Alec Burks and Bogdanovich, but we had some young kids like Duran and Ivy, who I think are really two good pieces. They're going to play with Kate Cunningham when Cunningham gets healthy. And if they're deep in the Victor sweepstakes and get him, Oh my goodness. Yeah. But, that's a nightmare uh, scenario. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so getting back to the Bulls, I just think they they lack consistency. People don't want to hear this because it sounds like an excuse and it's not. It's a fact. It is a fact. This team misses Lonzo Ball. Mm-hmm. Oh, Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, he, he was a big part of what they were what they were it's doing. Huge. Yeah. And and I get it. Injuries are a part of the game. Every team has injuries. Every team. Every team goes through it. But I'm talking about a devastating injury, not where, oh, he'll be back in two weeks or he's out four to six weeks. That happens. I can live with it. I may not like it, but I've got to live with it as a fan that it happens. Players get hurt. They get injured. Well, in the case of Lonzo, he's been out almost a year now. And it is a devastating setback to the Bulls. Because if you think about three things Lonzo did well, A, he was really good defensively, okay? And this club obviously you know, has to step it up on the defensive end. But he was really good defensively. His vision on the floor was exceptional. So let's say Vooch grabs the rebound and either does a handoff to Lonzo or a quick snap pass to Lonzo 65 feet away. That ball is going in the front court within two and a half seconds. How often did you see Lonzo dribble, 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 dribble? Never. Quick decisions. And the third element of his game, three-point shooting. He he was having a career year, and, and he felt good. And I think he impacted Vooch on pick and rolls and, and DeRozan and Levine. And I think he would have been really, really good with Patrick Williams. Yeah. And, and I, him and Caruso together, too, they were just a, a nightmare for opposing offenses, uh, yeah. breaking up so many actions. Like Chuck, I always compare them to the, the Mighty Ducks, the Bash Brothers. Uh, that's yeah. what I, that's what I compared, uh, Crusoe and Lonzo to because they would just come in and absolutely like rough up the uh, opposing team's offensive game plan. Yeah. And yeah, it's just sad that we only got about 30 games of that. I think what, like 30, 20, yeah. 30 yeah. games yeah. of that. Yeah. It's. So, yeah. I mean, I, and I don't know where all this is going. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to speculate. And, yeah. uh, you um, know, I haven't spoken to Lonzo. So I just wish, you know, the information you get, I get, the world gets. Yeah. Uh, Billy, you know, addressed that with reporters on Friday, that he's doing some things, but 
nowhere near, you know, where yeah. to get back on the floor. So real, um, real quick, Chuck, uh, before before we wrap up, uh, what is your optimism on whether this team can make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference? They, they have won five of their last six since uh, that Minnesota game. Things are looking better. Zach is looking like Zach again. Damar is still Damar. Vooch has been playing really well. So the best players on the team have been performing at the level that they need to to compete. Do you think this team can make the playoffs this season? Yes. Okay. I do. Um, I, you know, I, I think that um, if they take care of their own business and they – if they recognize matchups that they're comfortable with, for example, I like Jalen Duran. I think he's going to be a good player in this league for a long time. Um, terrific high school kid out of uh, Philadelphia, Roman Catholic. Then he went to a prep school, Memphis for a year, you know, gets drafted 13th overall. Looks like he's got some really defensive skills, rebounds, um, you know, block shots to the point where he's going to get better in that department, but he can rebound offense. You know, he's, he's just turned 19 um, a month ago, but okay. But Vooch got to him early and Vooch did that twist, turn ball, fake, right goes left pivots and jump hook. Okay. During has really never seen that um, playing ball in college or high school. He's getting a, probably a steady diet of that in the pros. And sometimes he's successful. Last night, I thought Vuk should have gotten a lot more touches. But Levine was in the zone. Zach went 15 of 20, and you defer to him. I totally understand. But there are times in matchups where Vuk needs the ball in the post. And you got to keep the big man happy. You got to give him some sugar. And um, if if the bench can do their job, and I love Drummond, uh, I think Drummond is a great fit for this team with Dragic. They play off each other really well. Um, but I don't think, for example, Williams and Javante Green, they've got to they've got to elevate their games. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I've been I've been happy with Pat as far as like his, the progress he's made. I, I feel like he's true. He's he, he has made game. progress, no question. Yeah, but I, I think I, he's I, capable I think of more. Had in the right. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent, and that's part of that's a part of a young player developing too. I feel like you know, um, it, it's not easy to play with guys like Zach Booch and Demar and understand the especially when you need the ball in your hands to be effective. Yeah. A lot of times he's learned how to play off of the actions and playing off of that. Um, I think the one thing he needs to do is stop get second guessing himself. I think that's what he does sometimes. And that's where um, he doesn't, you know, play to his full maximum uh, level, but yeah, definitely. He's, I, I, I feel, I feel good about him and he can, he can definitely get better. And I think he will. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think, the 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 view that most people share is okay he's starting to turn the corner you know the fact that yeah. he has had some good games he needs to be more consistent 
I know he's still trying to find his place. You know, he is 21. We have to keep that in mind. And right. you know, he's been plagued with injuries during his career. But I also look at Patrick as a guy who has an upside and he wants to get better. It's not mm-hmm. like he's a guy that goes through the motions because he doesn't. He's got a great work ethic. He's a terrific human being. Yeah. And so so now it's, you know, it's up to him. And I know how hard it must be because you got three alphas right. playing with Vooch, DeRozan, and Levine. And you're trying to, you know, look at the fact that, okay, I got the ball, um, but dot, 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 what do I do here? And I think that's why when they run plays on draw and kick or they set, you know, a place where Patrick can either create or shoot that mid-ranger, in this case, he really is taking a lot of threes. So you got to take it. You got, in, in my opinion, in the NBA, if you have an open shot, I'm not talking three-pointers because some players just can't shoot threes. Um, But if you have an open look in the NBA, you got to take it, no matter what player. Because if you're on the floor, you're an NBA player. And if someone says, I'm giving you a 17-footer, and I'm not talking about Drummond because he, he belongs near the cup, but I'm talking about a wing, a guard, um, in some case, centers like Vooch, if you have an open shot, you take it. Yeah. We, we need to take some, a sprinkle of uh, Denzel Valentine's confidence yes. and put it in the <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Denzel Valentine's confidence is the key to everything. Like, just... <laughs> well, I, I wish Denzel the best. He's in the uh, G League. Oh, sure. Boston's definitely, G League. Definitely. anyway guys this has been great love talking hoops yeah thank you so much chuck for joining us we really appreciate your time thank you appreciate you much love thank you take care all right yeah that that was a great conversation with chuck and yeah the the world would be a better place if everyone had denzel valentine's confidence like mix it with some like gatorade or some powerade and just distribute it Denzel's secret stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's better than that. Should have been in Space Jam too. Denzel's secret stuff. Denzel's secret stuff. Oh man! All right, Uh, uh, Salim. Any uh, final thoughts before we wrap up uh, this? The final Bulls gold of 2022. You know, no final thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy with Zach being back. Uh, I'm still hesitant, like I said, to be all in on this team. Um, I'm hoping they can keep playing good basketball and and find their way into thick of this playoff mix as opposed to kind of hovering around that 10th, 11th spot. Like, ideally, you know, if they can get into the 6th spot, obviously that would be preferable. But even get into, like, constantly be in that 6 to 8 um, and then as the season goes, on, you never know what happened. Then they can maybe jump up a little bit and secure that six spot. But that's what we have to look for. And then I like, we'll see what happens again. You know, I mean, we'll talk about this uh, again when we do more episodes later in 2023, uh, because obviously the trade deadline is such a far uh, place away from now, but like, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Vooch because like I said, you know, there's rumors of him 
essentially seeming like he's not going to be back. So are, do you, do you shake up the roster even like, you know, in a, not, not a complete rebuild, but like in this kind of structurally do something where you maybe get a defensive center and then flip Rouge for a shooting wing. That'll be interesting. So yeah, those are kind of my final thoughts of 2022. And like I said, hopefully 20, what we're seeing recently is a sign of an arrow pointing up for this team. Yeah, we, we were talking about that with, um, I, I think we were talking about that with Chris about the different ways that the team could either retool or rebuild. And a lot of it, I think we all kind of settled more so on a path that if the Bulls were still kind of disappointing, then maybe you look at moving DeMar and Vooch and rather than trying to trade everybody just like a complete like dynamite to the roster you know so uh it it would be interesting if the team is still uh wait the trade deadline is in february i believe so if the team is still like under 500 or like a few games back do you move vooch maybe get like another couple of bodies or do you look to improve the team still like maybe like you know, Chuck is Chuck Sorsky was saying that, hey, he does think this team can make the playoffs and that, you know, if the players are performing the way that they are and the bench is contributing, then, you know, they can still make the playoffs. So it'll it'll be interesting. Like they, it's a it's a very tough decision with this team because we know that ownership will want that playoff revenue and the team is still in that hunt where even if they're hosting some play in games that's still a value to them. And if they can get into the actual playoffs themselves and who knows what happens, like he, he mentioned um, the, uh, the three alphas team that was that team, I believe was 41 and 41 or 42 and 40 when the season ended. And we all thought that they were going to get killed by Boston. And then they made it a series until Rondo got hurt. So I'm not, not saying that's going to happen, but I think that's something along the lines of what, the team is going to hope out for is that maybe the team will perform better down the stretch. So um, um, I'm hoping that this is a sign of things to come for uh, this Bulls team going forward. And hopefully that Minnesota game was the kick in the ass that they needed. Anytime you get 150 put up on you by a team like that, um, you got to, you got to change something. So I, I think what Chuck was saying was pretty spot on when he was saying that all of these guys are NBA players, right? So, (laughs) you know, even though one team may look better, if you're not showing up, there's still NBA players on that end and that they can make shots. And if they're playing hard, that's kind of what we saw with Detroit, right? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Sure. Yeah. So um, hopefully good things to come uh, in 2023 for the Bulls. Hopefully they start to get their act together. They, are performing better in the clutch and hopefully we get to see this team improve down the stretch. But that concludes today's Bulls Gold. Uh, we want to thank Chuck Swirsky for dropping by and making time for us. Uh, it was great talking to him. We also want to thank all our listeners who've been listening with us this year and listening with us every year. Thanks for rocking with us this year and we will be back in 2023. For So for Salim Sudawala, I'm Edward Schuler. This has been Bulls Gold and we will catch you next time, Bulls fans. <laughs>